Welcome to the Modern Cloister, where we cultivate deeper thinkers and worshipers through conversations about the Christian life, in the same spirit as the conversations that took place during the Reformation at the Black Cloister, the former monastery and home of Martin Luther and his wife, Katharina von Bora. I'm Carissa, and I'm here with Kevin, and today we're kicking off a new series on the five solas, which are the five foundational doctrines of the Protestant Reformation that are still as relevant today as they were in the 16th century. They marked the breaking away of what is now the Protestant Church from the Catholic Church and continue to provide the basic foundations of our theological beliefs. However, while they remain incredibly important today, many people, including Christians, are unaware of them or do not fully understand their implications to their everyday life and the life, practices, and beliefs of the Church. So as we begin, our hope in this, as we dive into each of the solas in coming episodes, we wanted to do a brief history of the Reformation up front what it meant, how we got there, key people who were involved, so that we don't have to keep going back into that every single time, and giving everyone a little bit of foundation for where we're headed in the coming episodes. So in that spirit, Kevin, let's walk through a brief history of the church leading up to the Reformation. Yeah, kind of a peek behind the curtain there. We had we had started recording the series, and we realized as we were taking notes that we were going to have to do a five-minute summation every time. So hopefully this is a short episode and it kind of it's going to lead up to where we are i'm looking at the notes i feel like we should go ahead and do should we just go ahead and list the five solas so people know what we're talking about yes let's do that first hit it oh good okay five solas in order are scripture alone grace alone faith alone christ alone and god's glory alone thank you you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you can cut that So our goal in this series is to kind of look at the development of each of these in its historical context and why they still matter today. We're not going to go real, real deep into some. We're going to point to some of the scripture, obviously, especially for scripture alone, grace alone. uh, But we're not going to get deep dive into that on on a high theological level. We're trying to bring you why this mattered then, why it matters now, Mm -hmm. basically, and give just a a broad overview of, of what each of these are. And um, I think that's a good time to point out, actually, the word sola. What it means is is alone. So it's called this, you're going to hear us say this a lot through the series, mm-hmm. because there wasn't necessarily a dispute for some of these. You know, the Catholic Church at the time, and certainly the Orthodox Church, none of those are going to, no one would dispute that Scripture matters, that Scripture was inspired by God, that it was authoritative. It's the alone part. And we'll, mm-hmm. so we're really trying to differentiate where we're in a time in history and why, why we think they still matter today, as I said. Well, one thing that to point out, when I was listening to them before, I used one of the modern translations, for example, Scripture alone, but translated as they used to be used, it would be sola scriptura mm-hmm. or sola gratia. So that's where the sola conversation comes in. So just as a point of clarification, since there's two general ways to say it, one in which right. uses the sola, but because that is confusing and not as well known today, it's translated as alone in many instances for the modern reader and it is the, the book the book series we're using for this is called the five sola series and you know it has titles like the enduring word of god you know scripture alone and then god's glory alone mm-hmm. so but no one ever calls it the five alones so it's true it's not as, <laughs> the five it's not as <laughs> uh, it makes you sound like you're lonely so yeah uh, anyway this was supposed to be brief we're let's let's jump we're, into some we're never let's, brief. Jump let's jump into, into some history, history. Yes. yeah <laughs> and we're already scattered all through the notes oh i don't really look at the notes very well anyway so let's jump into some history Church starts with Christ ascension, <laughs> right? That's probably a good place to start it. We're, yeah. in, we're in Acts. We're going to move through. We go in and out of persecution and then uh, acceptance and then just 
spectacular growth all throughout the Roman world and, and Ethiopia, and we made it to India and some other places, didn't really take on. And then Constantine, uh, the emperor of Rome, converts. And we won't get into the disputes about was his conversion real, was it, whatever, none of that matters. But what the impact of that was is that it's now the official state religion. So we have now merged the church with the state. Now, of course, the Roman Empire split up and the Byzantine Empire and uh, the Roman Empire. And then about a thousand years ago, uh, the Orthodox Church split off. Part of that was political. Part of that was called a philoloquy. We won't get into that now. Uh, and, and so we're, we're really focused on the Western Church here. And that's because that's really where a lot of these problems came from. The Orthodox Church was just kind of over there in Greece and Turkey chilling out. Over here in uh, Rome, Italy, especially in France and England, there started to be uh, abuses. And uh, a, a lot of it came from people not knowing the Bible anymore. Uh, so, so let me jump back. The, the Bible is originally written, well, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, or a little bit Aramaic. New Testament is written in Greek. Most people spoke Greek, and then we kind of transitioned as we transition away again from the Greek side more to the Latin side, which would be Rome. Uh, in maybe 300 AD, I don't remember the exact time, Jerome, as more people spoke Latin, translated what we call you'll hear is called the vulgate which is where we get like vulgar languages it was actually the language of the people and that was taken on by the church so we get latin version of the bible but what happens is five six seven hundred years a thousand years later nobody speaks latin in some instances the priests do not even understand latin they they have it memorized and they do that in their homilies and they do that uh, as they uh, do mass and, and say it so it's all in latin but no nobody's speaking latin you're in england there, you know, we would have been some peasants there going to church. We'd have no idea what they're saying. So really the first push, the first seeds of Reformation, especially in the English world, come from like Wycliffe and Tyndall. And we'll talk more about those on the scripture alone one as they tried to translate into English. Now, again, since people don't actually read the Bible, don't know what's going on, that, that's where the abuses come in. Because if I'm the priest and I'm telling you this is what you must do, now listen to me read, you know, the Sermon on the Mount in Latin. And you say, all right, I guess this is true. Uh, so that, that's really a, a big a big hinge of it. But there were things like indulgences. And I, th I think these are pretty popular. People, people know about this. This would be uh, instances where you would have uh, money. You basically just pay. You, you buy your sins out. You're buying your way into heaven, essentially. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a, in German, it actually rhymes in German too, but it's whenever, uh, you know, the coin clings, the soul from purgatory springs, mm -hmm. right? And... Because the idea was th these people would travel around and they would say, hey, you have relatives. If you pay this money, then they'll get out of purgatory. Mm -hmm. And, uh, <laughs> the, I mean, the sad thing is a lot of what, sure, there was greed and, and, and abuse there from, you know, the cardinals and the higher up people in the Catholic Church. But it was to build these, these mm -hmm. giant cathedrals, a lot of these monumental, most famous places in Western Europe, uh, these basilicas and churches and, and these are, were built from this and you know they took hundreds of years and so these abuses happen another thing was penance um penance where you sometimes this would be money and you couldn't have communion right you couldn't have the mass you couldn't participate you couldn't have eucharist because you hadn't done your penance yet and sometimes that would be money again and of course you know that you're saved through communion <laughs> Because that's part of grace. Because it's not grace alone, which 
again, we'll get into that. And so, again, it's taking money from people or having people pray for you. And so that was one of the abuses and interesting things that led to the... So the Anglican Church was splitting off for divorce. Again, we won't dip, dip into that, you know, with uh, King Henry. And so we kind of had a state church in England. But some of the abuses there prior to that or around that was basically they were setting up these little little churches, little monasteries, and me as a priest, friar, monk, whatever, a rich family, uh, an aristocratic family or, or a noble family, someone with enough money, would basically, they'd buy a little building, a little chapel, and my life's work, they would pay me. I would just, day in and day out, I would go in and I would be praying for them, lighting candles, doing things for them. And so you had this just weird setup and it's just completely becomes all this works-based, um, non-biblical things. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, a lot of these are really famous. And I think the most famous key person here is, is going to be Martin Luther, yeah. right? The, the namesake of our illustrious podcast. <laughs> and, and of course, there's great conspiracy theories. I wish we'd go in time and there about it was really the banning of butter. And they had to use papal olive oil. We Chris is shaking her head. We do not have time It's for really this. great. Go, go listen to them. It's like an economic historian uh, who's written a book about this. It, it's, really, it's, it's really fascinating. But anyway, um, and she's not going to let me say anything more about that. Uh, other people, obviously, <laughs> John Calvin, uh, John Knox, Martin Bucher. What's Wingley's first name? I'm drawing a blank on him. I can't think of it. I want to say John, but that's not They're right. all named John. So, yeah, sure. <laughs> Johan. Who knows? Uh, so that you know and they're happening everywhere in geneva in northern germany southern germany and scotland with knox Mm -hmm. in with cranmer to a lesser extent in england and um and of course they all kind of meet in amsterdam and and there is reform in the church we we should make that clear that Mm -hmm. the goal certainly for martin luther was never to break away it was to reform these practices and and of course the thing that caught him up was he tried probably harder than anyone since paul to save himself Mm -hmm. you know and paul talks about like the works and all the things he wants to do and he just you know the the justification by faith and the imputation of god's christ's righteousness on us is is really where this all hinges the indulgence are are far more famous and we'll jump into all this as we go through the series but you know it really started or really took off with luther Mm -hmm. uh, and um yeah, so he's the he's the most well known player mm-hmm. in the Reformation, and his action with the ninety five theses is what is tied to what we call Reformation Day, the annual I guess celebration of of the Reformation on October thirty first, which is just a great day in America to have <laughs> such an important day from a religious perspective. But talk about, I guess if you could talk about, I guess the culmination of that and what that meant that day that he nailed the ninety five theses, and then kind of what happened from there that led to the breakaway and where we have right now. So the ninety five theses is basically okay. So they're they're arguments. Mm-hmm. So they would put it up on the church door, or which was also you know essentially the seminary door or the monastery door. And it was we, like the public square, really, for debate. Right. It was like putting on a bulletin board. Um, which is hard to kind of imagine now. I don't know. It would be like tweeting it? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. How, <laughs> oh, no. I can't think of what would it be, yeah. you know, kind of a modern equivalent. But it, he would just state, here's some problems I would like to debate with people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it including the indulgence, the penance, uh, but, but also the, the means of justification. And you can find you can find these online everywhere. Uh, they're really quick. They're like sentences each. Mm-hmm. And then he, he wanted these, and he thought they should be debated. And, and there were debates. Um, as I was saying a minute ago, the plan wasn't to break away. And, uh, but of course that ultimately being what happened and they just could not accept it. Uh, there was the council of Trent from, from the Catholic church side and they, they said an anthema, like it is not 
grace alone. It is like you must, you are saved through the church. No, it is not scripture alone. It is also the church. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, it you know, reform became impossible. And that's, you know, kind of Luther, people who followed him is kind of where we get Lutheran, mm-hmm. the Lutheran church. And then, of course, there are all kinds of other breaks. You know, Calvin's very famous, especially for, for us and kind of the reformedish circles. He's probably more famous than Martin, or at least more well-known than Martin Luther, uh, just because of his kind of theology and his way of setting up church and and you know if you're presbyterian that comes from john knox and that sort of thing so that's really where we got but there were other there there was the counter-reformation within the catholic church so there were some changes they got rid of you know we don't have indulgences anymore Mm -hmm. we don't have pendants of course we still pray to saints to get people out of purgatory but it's it's not as so, so we would say that's theologically wrong it's not taking advantage of people because i mean what would you do if just think about where you are. Okay, so a loved one dies and someone's like, well, they're in purgatory. They could be there for thousands of years or give me a thousand dollars and uh, we can get this person out now and send them straight. I mean, wouldn't you, you, you just would. Yeah. You would put everything you could, whatever you could pay to get these people yeah. out. And you didn't know any different. You didn't know You weren't any able different. to read it's, scripture. You weren't able to mm-hmm. read God's word. And so you had to take the words on faith that the priest was, was telling you. And so, I mean, it was hugely... Yeah, hugely impactful. So I've jumped all around the little you outline have, you wrote. Yeah, so but no, it's okay. Hopefully, but and that was that was brief enough. It so wasn't, did I miss anything it, it else? It wasn't too bad. To... Well, what what I think is what I think is important to note, and most people listening to this likely know this, but every every Protestant denomination has started from these foundational doctrines. Mm-hmm. This really was the beginning of what we call Protestantism. Is that the word? Protestantism or just Protestants? I mean, any Protestant denomination, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Methodist, Baptist, I mean, those are the couple of the main big ones, but all of those have their origin in this Reformation and these essential doctrines, whether or not individual break off of those denominations are still upholding them in faith or in practice or confessionally is a different <laughs> conversation altogether. But this was the starting point. This was really the mm-hmm. first big division in the church outside what Kevin had mentioned with the Orthodox split was, which was for something else. But this is where the whole Catholic and Protestant separation happened. And so it really is important because if you are attending in a Protestant church, this is part of your history. Mm-hmm. This is part of why you attend the church you attend and why you have likely heard of to some degree or another, these foundational doctrines in your preaching, or at least we hope you have. <laughs> and so I think that as a starting point launches us into the next couple of episodes where we dive into each one of these, because as Kevin mentioned, our whole hope is to bring these back up into modern day discussion. So many of the writers that we've been reading have been talking about the desperate need Mm -hmm. to reclaim these doctrines because we are in a time very much not just like we were back in in this particular era, but one in which the richness of these doctrines have been lost. Mm -hmm. And they really are not at the forefront of church the way that they they were during this time as the church was, was fighting for these essential doctrines. And they really need to be because of the fracturing that is happening across the church globally, um, the fracturing that's happening even locally, um, the, the basic tenets of our faith. And so I think that's an important transition point and really sets the tone for where we're headed. But we can't really head there without understanding the history behind all of it and why it's so important. So I think I think that was a great summary of hundreds and hundreds of years of history all at once, which is what we are, I think, becoming known for on our <laughs> podcast, as I, I throw you that task quite often. So I think that's probably where we'll end this one. Mm-hmm. 
We hope that you enjoy what's coming. We invite you to, you know, think on all of the topics that we're presenting to really reflect on them. And as you go through, we'd love to hear your feedback on what you're, what you're gathering from them and how you've experienced some of these in your own, you know, church life, what you've seen in the church and just be reflective with us as far as what they, what they mean to us for the future of the church as well. Yeah, I think that'd be great. Ed, we'd always love feedback. We'd love to hear from anyone. I think you were being too nice uh, saying that these were our foundations and maybe we do or don't still believe them. Very few churches practice this, and I'm afraid very few people actually know it again. And that that's what really led us to to do this series. We want this was the uh, this was the summary of the Reformation, mm-hmm. and I think we are as far from these concepts now as we were then, mm-hmm. and we're going to explain why over the series. Yeah. Next couple, five episodes. Pretty clever, right? <laughs> five episodes <laughs> for five syllables. Well, and I, I'm gonna, I'll leave us with a quote from, from Michael Horton, who you will hear us reference occasionally throughout the next couple series. He, he talks about um, these, these five solas as being far from being exhausted slogans. The Reformation's key themes need to be rediscovered for the church's very existence and mission in the world. Yeah. So with that, I can't say it better than that, so we'll leave it there. And we hope you will enjoy us as we dive into the next couple solas.